This is the Lit Fantastic, a podcast series about authors and their obsessions. I'm your host, Neil Aiken. In this episode, I talked to David Campos, a Canto Mundo fellow and the author of Furious Dust, which won the 2014 Andres Montoya Prize in Poetry. David and I talk about perhaps the nerdiest of obsessions, role-playing games or tabletop games. Or for most of us, uh, you've probably encountered this in the form of Dungeons and Dragons D&D. So, confession. I am a total, total role-playing game nerd. I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons from the Red Box, which for those in the know, goes back all the way to about the late 1970s, early 1980s, and have played every single edition since then. And so for me, this, this particular episode, it's kind of self-satisfying just to explore one of my own obsessions. So David and I started off this interview actually talking not about video games, but actually reflecting on our mutual experiences in poetry retreats centered around different types of communities. I had been a, a Kundiman fellow, and David, in this particular moment, is talking about his experience as a Cantamundo fellow. If you are familiar with Kundiman or Kabikanam, it is kind of in that same kind of realm where they serve a certain community. And the community that's being served in Katamundo is a Latino, Latina, broader community. And more specifically, the poets. It's known for, 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 po- for poets. So poet poetry retreats and, yeah, and poetry readings workshops. and events workshops yeah and and so what are some of the things you're working on right now do you have something that you're currently working on I am currently working on something and it is a book tentatively titled American Housefire and it's a collaboration with the artist Marcel Montoya who which also did the cover of my first book uh, Furious Dusk so. What initially started as like this fundraising idea to have one screen print with some of my poetry lines written on top of it kind of steamrolled into a full-on manuscript of poems that I wrote and a full series. I think it's 30-plus screen prints that he created. Mm-hmm. So I have on my end a full collection of poems. He has like a, a full series of screen prints and... The idea is to put that collection into a book and sell it as as a fundraiser for the Andres Montoya Prize. How very very cool! So so it's and I love the idea that that a simple partnership, you know, an initial collaboration, turns into a much bigger project that then feeds other projects and and gives opportunities to other people. Yeah, yeah. It, it was kind of weird because I sent him one poem and then he sent me a few prints and I felt pressure to write <laughs> more poems. So I sent him poems and he was like, later on after we finished and we we finally sat down together and like talked about the entire project. We were just talking how like every time we would get an email, we'd be like, fuck, <laughs> I have to work some more. I have to go create some more. So it mm-hmm. was nice to have like that pressure and that kind of helpful push to be very creative very quickly for for example that whole the whole series or the whole 
series of poems that I wrote were written in a span of like three months. That is pretty quick. So that is pretty quick. Yeah, it is very quick. So, so speaking of sort of projects or, or things that kind of take over, what are some of your own like favorite obsessions or strangest obsessions that, that you kind of return to? I've always been a big fan of video games, and they eat up a good amount of my time. For example, every E3 conference, I'm on my computer watching all the conferences from the major uh, studios and or developers. More recently, I've been playing MOBAs, which are multi-online player battle arena. So the version that I play is played on a computer, mm-hmm. and it's League of Legends. If you are familiar with, let's say, Dungeons & Dragons. Mm-hmm. So it's basically like a, a party versus party tournament, right? Yeah, it's a party versus party tournament, and you play online with complete strangers. Sometimes I play with a few friends that I made since playing. I have a friend who's a PhD candidate at UC Merced, and last night we were playing a few games just for fun. And you can play for fun and competitively. Mm. They even have their own esports league now, which is getting pretty big. For you, what's the attraction? Why, why, why League of Legends and why games like this? Because it's the closest to D&D without actually playing D&D. I think I just finished about like a few months ago a long campaign with a group of friends. We got together uh, once every two weeks and Mm -hmm. we played anywhere from four to eight hours. And when that kind of falls out of play and, and I feel like that itch that I need to be involved in some kind of party to have some kind of community in a way and mm-hmm. geek out about the same thing. That's what calls me to it. And I love the competitive aspect of it. Some people that you play and how you play takes a lot of skill, really. Mm-hmm. And I'm not very good at it. Like there's a ranking system, for example, that goes from bronze, I think, all the way to diamond. And mm-hmm. then after diamond, you get like master and challenger. And those are the ones that turn into professional esports players. I'm still way at the very bottom. <laughs> so, and you said in, in many respects, like League of Legends is, is kind of a stand-in for what you would have if you were more involved with a, a regular a gaming group that, that played D&D on a regular schedule. So what's the attraction? And, and it's more flexible. It's more flexible. Like I can come home and I may be in the mood to like let's play D&D but it's just like everyone has lives they're all working they're asleep right or our schedules don't necessarily mix so I can get on at 1 a.m. or 2 p.m. in the afternoon and play a game or two and kind of get that energy out you can get your fix <laughs> yeah I can get my fix for you what do you see the biggest differences between the tabletop experience and 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 the experience that you have in League of Legends when you're playing? Creativity. Creativity? Uh, Yeah, like trying to problem solve and actually work with a set group of people. Usually when you're playing the tabletop game, you have a set group of people that you constantly gather with. So you, you begin to understand not only the characters that they are playing, but the actual players themselves. 
and what they are kind of prone to, what they like to do. For example, I'm the type of character who opens chests without checking them for curses or anything else. Or when there's like a highly, you know, important artifact in the game, I'm the first one who touches it. And then, you know, that that's kind of my, my, I guess, life goal inside these games. It's just like, just do it. You know, just You're like, a kinder. Oh, You're a kinder. <laughs> I'm Leroy Jenkins. What, what value do you think there is in, in playing like the tabletop? D&D or tabletop role-playing games? Are there ways it spills over into other aspects of life or equips you in certain ways or provides you with a set of skills for other things? Kind of strange because you, you start kind of seeing and looking at people as characters and players and you start to understand patterns. Like I know my group knows that I will always be the one to set off something so they're always cautious of that, and they're always looking out, and they kind of preemptively send the rogue out first to make sure I don't get there first. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, you tend, you kind of negotiate the workspace in many different spaces in that way, especially once you become familiar with people um, and their kind of tics and what they like to do. Um, I don't know how else to put that. I, I think what you're kind of getting at is like what what playing with a particular group of people, it's actually an interesting negotiation between sort of them as players and then the characters that they play, which sometimes have very distinct personalities and and understanding sort of the, the sets of skills and personalities and and character traits and flaws that come into play and how to strategize a way in, work, in which success can be achieved or at least survival can be achieved while working with all those different things in motion. I, I think it, it, you're right. It, it does translate into the workplace. It translates into other parts of our life when we have to assess the people that we're around and figure out how best to, to make something happen that you know improves our situation or carries us to the next place to problem solve, really. Also, the rules. Um, do, do you, so you really <laughs> see people in those different roles when you run oh, in? No, 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 not the roles. I'm talking about the rules. Oh, the rules. Like okay. The rule book. Like, the rules is also one of the biggest things that I, I love about it. There's, like, certain rules that everyone has to abide by. Mm -hmm. For the most part, everyone follows the rules to the T. So it's – and, like, every other player, they're trying to manipulate the rules or trying to find – the best way so they can achieve their goal. So I'm always looking for shortcuts. I'm always looking for the best optimization of a certain character so I can have, you know, a paladin with a bastard sword and dual wield with another, like, short sword and, you know, trying to figure out different ways to optimize my vision of who I see as character and by really digging into the rules, looking into the expansion rules, and really understanding them. And I think that really helps with, if you've ever been a part of, um, or have ever read the minutes from an academic senate meeting, or the <laughs> academic senate rules, um, they tend to have that kind of language, mm -hmm. where you have like this broad language, but it's also specific. Mm -hmm. so there's wiggle room. 
So you're you're trying to find out how much you can really wiggle. Yes, you you should try sometime playing with a, a group that contains three lawyers, um, three actual attorneys, which was my previous group. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine the arguments over the rules. <laughs> yeah, it, it was an interesting group. Probably the best group I've ever played in, but but definitely an education in terms of understanding rules and what can be done within a set of rules. So do you find that you, you tend then to play characters that are, you know, to some degree similar to you, or, or is this an opportunity to imagine personality or life that's extremely different from your own? I kind of find, or at least with everyone I've played so far with, they, they kind of tend to play someone similar to who they see as their ultimate selves. Mm -hmm. And for me, I always lean towards clerics and paladins. Like, paladin is my ultimate choice, you know, like being lawful good. You know, I have some kind of religious sense, but I also like to fight. <laughs> <laughs> so... I think that's what, that's what I like about the Paladins, and that kind of says a lot about who I am as a person, right? I, mm. love, I love the law. I'm kind of halfway religious, and I believe in good, and I like a good fight. Not necessarily physical, but, you know, like, even if it's an obstacle in front of me, uh, like a blank page. Mm -hmm. If you were to, to choose your own character, like if you were to turn yourself into a character... How would you define yourself? How would you define yourself in D&D terms? What do you mean, like lawful good? Well, I mean, a character class, a race, and, um, you know, maybe a particular set of skills or, or, or something else that defines that character. Human, paladin, uh, lawful good, uh, blacksmith. Blacksmith. Yeah. I kind of like hard work. Mm -hmm. like like really hard work like sometimes I'll just go out you know work in the yard and I'll feel like I've accomplished more than I would have you know since having published my first book you know it feels just as good sometimes <laughs> it's kind of weirdly so Want to learn more about our guests and other episodes? Then check out our website at www.thelitfantastic.com or follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook at The Lit Fantastic. In what ways do you feel like you know the, the time that you've spent playing these games and, and learning these skills has impacted um, your writing or, or your your imagination? I'm unafraid, I think, sometimes to just go into it. Like, my character is to, you know, go touch that artifact that, you know, you don't know if it's cursed or not. You don't know if it's going to have permanent changes to that character. So on the page, it's just like, oh, I see something I'm not supposed to go into, but here I go. Because I like to see what happens, you know. I, I, I kind of like to find out all the different possibilities, whether 
it's a it's a line break the way I, I break my lines, the length of poem, the content, the word choices. You know, some of these never see the light of day, but I think it's important to have that kind of risk taking, at least for me. And and sometimes I can even see myself as a character writing those those lines, being unafraid, almost like a writing persona, if you will. Mm. I I think that's really interesting that that does spill over in those ways. That there there is, I guess, a way in which in the games we're able to to practice and to train and to experiment with with what it's like to take bigger risks because there's less at stake on some level. And yet, when it comes to real life or when it comes to the writing we do as real people and not imaginary characters, we are also able to take some some of those same risks and and I think learn from the characters that we've played. At least I, I feel that way sometimes that that some of the things I've learned from playing either characters like myself or characters that are very, very far removed from myself enable me, like you say, to take some some different risks, uh, to imagine something that's a little outside of what I might normally do. Yeah. Oh, for real. It's very true. Because my, my characters tend to be really, really reckless, and I'm just like, okay, Dave, you could be reckless on the page, but... You know, can't you can't go out and buy the new iPad Pro today? It's not gonna be helpful. I, I guess you know, in some ways, then maybe maybe writing is just that continuation of that. It's a it's another it's another place where we take on a role, a persona, and we're we're exploring an unknown world, and we're making decisions, taking risks, seeing how things will transpire. That is very true. So do you think this is going to translate into to something else? Do you think you'll, you'll try your hand at, uh, at writing something longer, like fantasy fiction? Or... I have. You have? Uh, no, not, not in as in I have, it's like it's done. But I started world building because I thought about running a game, but I wanted to run my own game, and I wanted to run certain changes to the rule book and to the core rule book. And I wanted to have it in my own kind of world. So mm-hmm. I started creating a world, a fantasy slash sci-fi world mm-hmm. for players to inhabit. And I'm wondering if I should just turn that into an actual novel and kind of see what happens with it. I think that would be really cool, actually. I, I think that sometimes happens. You know, there are certainly fantasy and science fiction writers today who who had their roots in in fantasy role playing games, and even today, I, I can think of China Miaville is is a world builder. He he's actually talked about it in some of his interviews that he will set out and he'll map out his world and he will go into great detail to describe the different parts of the world, the layout, the geography, layout, the peoples the populations, the cities, and to think about it in great detail. And I'm, I'm fascinated by that. I, I think, you know, good stories can arise out of it as long as we don't get too lost in the, the making of the world that we never get around to telling the story. Yeah, that's very true. And I think one of the helpful things that, you know, D&D players have, again, like a light up against others, is character sheets. You know, you... You can always build a character sheet for each one of your uh, characters in your novel or your short story and kind of figure out, you know, like, oh, here's a decision that they have to make. 
how would they approach it? You know, let's, let's look at their strengths, their weaknesses, their flaws. Are they highly charismatic? Do they have any charisma? Right. Mm-hmm. And kind of make those decisions with dice rolls. Right. It is true. It, it equips us with a way of, of, you know, a process by which we can kind of assemble a world and and think about relationships and think about sort of the comparative strengths and weaknesses of, you know, the characters we're imagining. I've actually used that once. I was writing an action screenplay in grad school, and there were one, you know, the character had in front of him, you know, he could either take someone's car or run through a certain door, and I was just like, wait, I don't know, what should I do? So I rolled a d20, and I was just like, if it's 10 or under, you know, he takes the car. If it's 11 to 20, he goes through the door. And that kind of shifted the entire storyline based on that one dice roll. <laughs> it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure, but for the author, you know. Well, David, uh, this has been really fascinating. I think we've covered a lot of ground. And I, I was wondering, as we wind down this interview, if you'd be uh, willing to read us a couple poems. They don't have to be about League of Legends or world building. No. But <laughs> I, I try to write like League of Legends, like very geeky poems, and they have not turned out well. <laughs> I think it's a really challenging thing to do. I, I think there's a reason why we often don't write directly about the fandoms that we're involved with is because sometimes they feel distinct, even if there's an underlying impulse that actually is in common. Very true. Okay, so do you have some poems for us? Yeah, I do. I have two poems and then like a very, very tiny poem. Like I think it's five lines. Okay. So, lemons. The yard fills with rotting lemons. The rinds so thick the branches mope with their weight. I hear them thud against the hardened earth at night. The dogs bark when they break free. This is an excuse to walk out of the house and say, I need to clean that someday. I pick up the ones without worms, crush and squish them into lemonade. But even sugar cannot corrupt the taste of abandonment. That awkward hello when I greet my aunt after we fought at Thanksgiving. That was a year ago. That fight and that cliche when life hands you lemons. I change lemons into people. This is to excuse all the changes I have not made to understand her alcoholism. To learn when not to speak in my professor voice. To allow some sense of decorum in my father's house. Two weeks ago, it rained. Worms crawled out and baked into permanent punctuation. Damn you, lemons, for making them semicolons. The thought must always move in the direction of gravity. Damn you, gravity, for not working well enough to distance me from this metaphor of lemons I've started. Damn you, metaphor, for being only one side of this punctuation. I'm making because I can't explain forgiveness in an acceptable way. It would be nice, right, to clean up all these lemons, to shovel the rot filling this terrible yard. So to unburden this metaphor, do nothing. 
Watch the branch swing in the breeze. Another lemon land on the soil. Write Bia into the poem, but omit her name. Hear them crash and keep you up at night. And then I have Drought Garden, Lemon Tree, another kind of lemon poem. The lemon tree is dying. Still, for some reason, the leaves are still there, unwilling to give up their place on the branch. Perhaps they wish spring, a rain, a gentle sun to bring them back. This is my own fault for not watering or saving water, gray water with buckets under my sink. I couldn't give the plant secondhand water. Its history of chemicals could be poison. I couldn't give it secondhand anything as if it didn't deserve my attention the first time. The water was restricted. No neighbors cheated. And I could have, too, to save it. But I like rules and follow them and watch the browning leaves from my office window as it watched me decay into our own places of comfort. Complacent with our sedentary lifestyles. Though perhaps we're both already dead and too stubborn to acknowledge the dirt taking us back. And then finally, the tangerine tree has something to say about my infertility. You're not even in the backyard. You're behind the garage, between that stucco and the fence surrounding our house in a small patch of dirt that was covered in oil when we moved in. We don't water you. And still, somehow, you manage to bear fruit. Thank you so much, David. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your poems and for being with us. It, it's been a real delight, and I'm glad that you were able to take the time. Do you have any uh, final words for our audience, our listeners? Thank you for uh, having me, one. Thanks, Neil. And for the audience, um, don't play League of Legends. <laughs> play League of Legends. And if you do, you can find me. <laughs> <laughs> that was David Campos, poet, Cantamundo fellow, and author of Furious Dust, the winner of the Andres Montoya Poetry Prize in 2014. For more information about David, you can check out his website at davidcampos.co. That's davidcampos.co. You've been listening to The Lit Fantastic, a production of KBOO Community Radio in Portland, Oregon. Special thanks to freemusicarchive.org and to our producer, Jenna Yokoyama. To learn more about our podcast series or to listen to other episodes, check out our website at www.thelitfantastic.com. Until the next episode, I'm your host, Neil Aiken. Thanks for listening.